Good morning. I feel very blessed. It seems like we have a nice full house this morning, so that's really great to see. Uh, so again, I want to welcome everyone here. Yeah, that's reason to be be happy. Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate that everyone's here this morning uh, to hear this message, and uh, I hope that you get something out of it. Uh, if you want to, go ahead and turn to the book of Lamentations. Uh, that's the first group of scripture we're going to be at. Lamentations chapter 1, starting with actual verse 1, very beginning of the book. Uh, we're not going to read it just yet, but I want you to just go ahead and have that prepped and ready. Uh, we'll be there here shortly. Uh, <clears throat> so this morning I want to tell um, actually a few stories. And uh, the first one is going to be uh, kind of my upbringing. Um, as some of you may or may not know, I grew up in a very small town, uh, the population of which was smaller than what you would find inside of a Walmart. Um, so I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's in Brumley, Missouri, about 10 miles outside of Lake Ozark. You're not offending me if you've never heard of that town. Uh, that's okay. So, uh, but I remember growing up, uh, Tammy knows what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> I remember growing up for between the ages of 7 and 12, staying up many a late night, uh, listening to my dad play drums for a country and western band called Aces Up. Um, I don't get the reference, but uh, the name of the band was Aces Up, and they were a very big deal in the bustling nightlife of Stoutland, Missouri. Again, if you've never heard of Stoutland, Missouri, you don't offend me. Uh, but uh, anyway, they were a big deal. They uh, headlined the dance hall there almost every other weekend, I would say. I remember being there a lot. <laughs> okay? Uh, we say, so to, to this day, I'll be honest, there is something about 80s and 90s country music uh, that just makes me feel comfortable. Um, it just, yeah, it's just something about that. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, some Garth Brooks, George Strait, stuff like that, you know. Uh, it just makes me feel comfortable. Now, I like a wide range of music, a wide range. Like, I was in a blues band, so I, I, I played bass in a blues band. Whenever I was in college, I had long hair and played rock music, okay? So, uh, oh, yeah, uh, Ponytail, Sarah loved it, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's not here. She would be shaking her head. No way. <laughs> yeah, you missed it. I was talking about my long hair. I said you loved it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, like, I like a wide range of music. And, but there's something specifically about that music just makes me feel comfortable. And because obviously it reminds me of my childhood, you know. It reminds me of, you know, running through the woods on my grandpa's farm, playing swords with old oak tree branches, and uh, for a snack eating cut-up hot dogs and zebra cakes. Uh, we were very health conscious when I was a kid. Um, so with ketchup. Um, for the hot dogs, not the zebra cakes. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so we, we were, uh, that, that was like my childhood, you know? So whenever I listen to that kind of music, it just, it reminds me of that. And everyone can kind of relate to that feeling, that feeling of longing uh, paired with maybe a little sadness, a little melancholy, right? Everyone knows what we're talking about, nostalgia, right? Everyone, everyone's felt nostalgia before. And um, that, so actually the origin of the word nostalgia really kind of interests me. Um, so it's from the Greek words uh, nostos and algos, which means homecoming and pain. I thought that was really kind of cool. Now, I don't want to get like all academic, like the Webster Dictionary defines nostalgia. You get it. You've had nostalgia. You get the idea of this longing for something in your past. Okay? And it could be something good, for sure. Like what I was saying, you know, the country music makes me feel nice and comfortable and all that. But it could also be something tragic. Okay? Something reminds you of someone that is no longer here or something like that, and it makes you feel sad. But there's also this longing that's associated with that because you remember how things used to be. Right? The good old days, as they say. 
prior to, you know, some, like I said, someone passing or, um, well, we moved out of this. You, you feel that like whenever you move out of a home and move into a new one, right? And then you drive by your old house or something like that, that, that kind of feeling, right? And like I said, everyone can kind of get that. And maybe you hit hard with uh, the lyrics from uh, Joni Mitchell or Counting Crows, whoever, whatever poison you'd like to choose there, but don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone. They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. And it's the idea of paradise lost, right? Again, everyone can relate to this. And this mixed feelings of longing and sadness from your past. So up until this point in our biblical narrative, um, we've had many stories. And uh, if, you, if you're new here, if uh, you, you don't know what's going on, but as, as a church, we've been trying to read through the entire Bible in a year. And we're to the point uh, where the Babylonians have taken over Jerusalem and removed all of them from their home. And you can bet right now they're looking back at the good old days. They're looking back at this time when things were good. They're looking back at a time when it seemed that everything was going the way it should be. They had a house, they had their family, but instead they got to turn around, they're watching their home burn, and potentially all their family members are dead. Tragedy. And this is where they're at. So as we are reading this section of scripture, I want us to all kind of just think back at that one thing in our past that we always like to remember. That maybe we long for. We have a mixed feeling of longing and sadness because that's going to help us truly relate to where the Israelites are now because this is their new reality for at least the next 70 years. I say at least because even once they finally go back to Jerusalem, it's still not the way it was. Things changed forever. But thank God we have a God that knows our emotions, that knows how we process. And he wrote books like Psalms for us and Lamentations. So let's go ahead and read Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1 real quick. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. Just a quick side note. So Lamentations traditionally is said to be written by the prophet Jeremiah. And um, I say traditionally, there's not like absolute clear evidence there, but Traditionally, it's Jeremiah, and was written shortly after this huge tragedy happened. And he is writing Lamentations in order to guide the people of Israel in a lament. Okay, so that, that's kind of a little bit of background on why we why this book even exists. Okay, I, I do want to skip down from verse one and go down to verse seven real quick. Okay, so chapter one, verse seven. I want to read this real quick. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wondering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. So classic poetry, personification, right? Giving something that is not a person the aspect of a person. So obviously a city can't remember anything, right? But this idea of remembering the past, remembering the good old days is what the prophet Jeremiah is trying to help the people of Israel kind of come to grips with. He's recognizing that we all feel this way either now or sometime in the past, everything, this is all something we can relate to, right? He's trying to bring them into this group acceptance of what has happened. 
So, so we have this book of Lamentations, and actually even as a church, we have this really great definition of what a lament actually is. So if we can pull up that graphic real quick, that'd be great. Thank you. So a lament, a prayer in pain, anger, struggle that leads to hope and trust in the Lord. Uh, so this is, this is a great definition. When we think about lament, this is a great way to think about it. Uh, so uh, this is what the prophet Jeremiah is trying to do. He's trying to guide these prayers in pain to hope and trust in the Lord. Right, that's what he's trying to do. So let's skip over to Limitations chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 22 through 24. All right, so we've had our prayer in pain, and then here, here's, what, here's where Jeremiah goes with it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So again, we have this prophet leading the people out of pain, out of this prayer and pain, into hope and trust in the Lord. And if we have to be honest with ourselves, this is usually where we stop. We have a hard time getting from Lamentations 1 to Lamentations 3. We get stuck in this idea of the prayer and pain. Oh, woe is me. Oh, Lord, how could this happen to me? What is going on? Everything's falling apart, right? And we can all kind of relate to this idea because we've all prayed for someone and they've died anyways. We've all prayed for protection and still get in a car accident. We've prayed for a nice, lovely, wonderful home and watch it burn to the ground or at least known someone that has had that happen to them or read it on the news. Like we get this idea of being stuck in this prayer of pain and not seeing that hope and trust on the other side. We see that. Getting stuck in the should have been, I should have done this better. Why did I do this instead of this? And see, the problem is when you get stuck in that prayer and pain and you start asking the Lord, Lord, just, just send me a blessing. Send, send me some hope here but you're not looking in the right place, then you're stuck in this idea, well, what if the blessing never comes? What if I ask for all of this and it never happens? Again, that's when we say, yeah, yeah we've, seen, we've seen this church, this church specifically, pray for someone and they not make it. We've seen that. And when you start putting your hope and trust in a blessing that isn't actually from the Lord, a false hope, we'll get that here in a little bit. And when you start doing that, everything starts to crumble because the false hope leads, leads to false faith. And then everything just seems broken around you. We know what it feels like to step out in faithfulness and things still not work out. And this morning, actually, if you'll leave me, leave me just a little bit of latitude... I know several people have heard the story of my family, um, but I know we have several new faces as well, and I would love the opportunity to just kind of retell this story really quick. And um, I did a good uh, bullet point list here just because I didn't want to forget steps because uh, it was a crazy couple of years. <laughs> so if you'll allow me a little bit of latitude, I do want to kind of tell this story a little bit, and this isn't a way to uh, seek pity or compare like my bad to your bad, okay? But I, there, there's helpful uh, notes here that I really want to make sure that we get a hold of, okay? So in November of 2020, our family sold most of our possessions, sold, uh, stored the rest of it, and then we sold our home and became domestic missionaries. This was a home 
actually to this day, we still love and miss. By March, we were a family of five living full-time in a fifth wheel, going from 2,500 square feet to 400 square feet. We were cramped, but our hearts were full because we felt the Lord's call to ministry. We were going to reach out to other full-time traveling families that seemed to have no connection among them, and we were going to try to make that connection for them. Um, We wanted to make a difference. One month into our mission, while serving at the Passion Play in Eureka Springs, um, my grandmother, who had been in the hospital for a couple weeks, who was seemingly going to recover, all of a sudden took a turn, and we got a phone call saying that we needed to come home. So we left our camper uh, parked on the Passion Play property, which was great, and drove back up here and attended a funeral and a visitation over the course of a few days. At the end of that, still feeling convicted, we turned around, we didn't stick around very long, went back to the Passion Play and finished our mission there. Then hooked on and went on our way. Things were going really well until they weren't. Uh, Trying to get ahead of an aging truck that was overweight, we decided to pull the trigger and get a newer vehicle. Um, Being, you know, missionaries, not having a full-time job, stuff like that, obviously funds were limited, so our choices were limited in which vehicle to buy. But we found one in St. Louis that seemed to be a good deal, and uh, found out later why it was so cheap. (coughs) Uh, So we we bought the truck, and uh, within the first month of owning it, it leaves us stranded in Michigan. In uh, Battle Creek, Michigan, actually, to be specific. That's important. We'll come back to that later. We uh, were stranded up there for several weeks, having very hard conversations with both the dealership and the mechanics up there. Couldn't tell which one of, which one of them were right. One of them were trying to get money out of us. The other one, was, it just was, it was a big deal. <laughs> After a few weeks, we were finally able to get the truck running to the point where we could hook back up to the camper and come back south to stay in the church parking lot for a little while while we made repairs. Um, I say repairs plural because once we pulled into the parking lot, we found out that we had pretty serious damage to the roof of the camper that was, had an estimated cost of about $10,000 to replace. Um, so at this point, if anyone's keeping tally, we are $10,000 down on the roof and $40,000 on the truck. <laughs> uh, again, with no full-time job or anything like that. And the final nail was learning that some of the financial support that we'd been having over the course of the last year would be stopping in the next few months, and we would be unable to pay our bills anymore. So after seeking wisdom with people that we know and trust, we decided to stop and come off the road. We began to rebuild our life in Jeff, replacing vehicles, returning to a job that I felt like the Lord had called me away from. We buy a house, begin to remodel it, again, comparing every step of the way to the home that we did have and we did love. And to this day, even with it looking as nice as it does now, we still compare it to our old house. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, um, it was super frustrating because the Lord called us off the road in the middle of the worst housing market since the 1970s. Now we begin to settle things take another turn for the worst. After finding 25 new tumors on my mom's brain in June, they decided to put her on hospice. After hearing this news, our family starts to think of final things we can do. do Trips, Uh, we went Branson. Uh, She wanted to see the ocean again, not knowing that we would never get the chance. She leaves MD Anderson, and two weeks later, she's gone. So, excuse me. 
this is our past two years. And I don't tell the story out of pity. I don't tell the story for any other reason except for a prayer in pain. It's a limit, right? But there are pieces of hope and trust in the pages of this lament. And we're going to unpack those here in a second. But the first thing that I want us to understand is that whenever we are stuck in a prayer of pain, if I couldn't get past that list, we were missing the blessing. And for the longest time, we were missing the blessing. Because we still struggle with this list every day. But we also try every day to move into trust and move into hope. It's not a perfect process. It comes in waves back and forth, okay? But a true lament is going to get us to that second stage. And if you get too grounded in that prayer and pain and start seeking those false blessings and those false promises and everything like that, because a lament and those prayers and pain should lead you directly to the Lord, and anything that doesn't do that is false, And before we get into the other side of this story, the other way to look at this story, what I want us to understand is what the true hope is. Because see, this is something that Jeremiah had to deal with during the exile. He had to deal with false hope and false prophets and false promises. And in Jeremiah 28, verses 2 through 3, there's this false prophet, and his name is Hananiah. And he says, Thus said the Lord of Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to the place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. This false prophet is giving false hope. And the problem with this is, after two years, when this doesn't come true, who do the people blame? God. They blame God. Because now he's no longer faithful. He's no longer someone you can trust in. And this is why it is so important to not believe in false hope. To not believe in the Lord. And what he says as truth in his word. And this is what Jeremiah has to battle. And he does. In chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, he comes forward and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. So the Lord saying, I have done this. From Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters into marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for, it, for in its welfare you will find your welfare." In short, Jeremiah is saying, get comfortable because this is exactly where you're supposed to be. And hear this this morning. Sometimes being in the Lord's will is not a fun thing. Sometimes being in the Lord's will is not something you're going to enjoy. And sometimes being in the Lord's will does not make any sense at all. But that does not take away the point that that's exactly where we need to be. And anything that leads you away from that, giving you some false hope that like just have more faith, just trust more and you'll be a millionaire is wrong. Because when you're not a millionaire, you're going to blame one person and that's God. And you can't say that that is not the devil's 
ultimate goal is to get you to lack or take away your faith in God. But God does promise something. In Jeremiah 29, verses 13 through 14, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. The Lord promises one major thing, and that is himself. And maybe that sounds empty to you this morning. Maybe I'm just like, oh, nice. Okay, the Lord promises me himself. What does that mean? How does that help me? That doesn't help me feel better. That doesn't make me feel blessed. That doesn't, make, that doesn't bring anyone back from the dead or anything like that. How does that make me feel better? God promises himself because every one of us are sitting in the room right now. God stepped down into this broken world in the person of Jesus Christ to be with us, to teach us, to save us. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he is able to connect us through his spirit. So through the connection of that spirit, we now get to live in a new humanity. And that new humanity functions in a way that you see before you right now, where we all come together in love and hope and trust and point back to God. You want to know how to trust in God? Look around you. The Lord does not promise anything fun. The Lord does not promise anything easy. In fact, in John 16, he says that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Again, he promises one thing, and that is himself, and you will have tribulation. You want to know how to overcome the world? Again, look around you. We are getting ready to approach a time of Advent. It's going to be here before we know it. And the entire concept of Advent is this idea of a kingdom to come, but also a kingdom that we are in right now. We get to live in a current living hope, as Peter says in his book, a living hope that's happening right now because of his church, because the people that we see around us connected in the spirit. But this points us to an even greater hope when Jesus someday returns and makes everything new. A perfect harmony that we can only glimpse at right now in the way that the church functions. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 tells us, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Because the Spirit of God dwells in you, that makes us one body. So you want to know how the Lord moves? You want to know how the Lord functions? Through his church. Through his body. Listen to this. Pick this up. There is absolutely no way that you move from a prayer in pain to trust in the Lord apart from his body. That's how he moves. That's how he works. That's how he functions. We're going to retell our story, but this time I want you to hear the hope in the pages of Lament. In November of 2020, our family sold our house and our loving church supported us financially and by giving us a house to live in rent-free while we prepared to go on mission. My grandmother, who suddenly passed away, 
<clears throat> was a was sudden for sure, but our church sent prayers and loving messages to us during that time. When we are broken down in Michigan, the church through the Stoltz family who lived up there, housed my family for weeks as we tried to wrestle and figure out why we were up there. What is going on? Why is everything falling apart? But they lovingly housed us, fed us, and supported us during that time. And get this, while our camper was stranded in Battle Creek, Michigan, a church that I have never met, and to this day I have never met the pastor, allowed us to park our camper in his parking lot for free while we tried to figure everything out. And this entire thing was arranged by Mark Towns, the former pastor here. Even when we broke down a second time, trying to get to Michigan again, another family that, again, does not attend this church, drove to St. Louis to pick us up and took us back to their house in Palmyra, Missouri, where we stayed a few days there as well. When we came back to Jeff and the church let us park in the camper, the camper in the parking lot again for free as we struggled to find the reason why we had to make all these repairs and why we were out all the money. When it became obvious we were going to have to come off the road, it only became obvious because of the wisdom and the loving encouragement from members of this church that helped us talk that through. We still struggled to find a way to make all the repairs. Huh? Yeah, right, the insurance and the insurance end up covering the roof, right? When it became obvious we were going to have to come off the road, the church again offered us the Kingdom Cafe to live in for free as we tried to resettle. When we had to buy new cars again, members of this church helped us inspect and replace our vehicles and help get good deals because at that point the finances were not in a good place. Yes, we had to buy a house that we weren't excited about at a price that frankly made us upset, but the church gathered around us to help us inspect and repair the house to make it a home. So thank you. There's not a way that you trust in the Lord without trusting in his body. It just doesn't happen. This is the only way it works. <clears throat> Go all the way back to Genesis. Adam and Eve, Abraham, all that. The Lord's goal was to make a people of faith. That point back to him. Not a person on an island with individualistic convictions, a people of faith. And that's the only reason why when my mom passed, members of this church drove an hour and a half south to visit a person they'd never met. Because they loved us. So I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. <clears throat> But I feel like some of them, some of us are probably stuck in that prayer of pain. That prayer of just visiting or, sorry, uh, viewing just your circumstances. You're looking around, you're seeing all the bad stuff that's happening. Maybe again, you've, you've fallen into some kind of comfort, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex, money, whatever that is. You've fallen into some kind of comfort that's not allowing you to fully trust in the Lord. We're here for you. Because that's the point. You can do this by yourself. But that's not trusting in the Lord. And that's not what you're called to do. I'll be honest, this is incredibly outside of my comfort zone. 
to sit here and do this. So what the Lord taught our family through this is not, you know, don't move into a fifth wheel. <laughs> it taught us to trust in his body. So, again, I don't know what you're going through, but I feel like you need to hear that if you're stuck in a prayer of pain, what you need to walk away with is the way you trust in the Lord is to lean into a body. So as we move into a time of response, maybe what that means is you need to join the church this morning. Maybe that's what that means. Maybe there's uh, something that you've been holding back where you uh, haven't been wanting to fully commit, or maybe there's something in your heart that's like, you know, I've been hurt in the past by a church. And yeah, granted, this is not a perfect process. Trusting in the Lord, meaning trusting in the church, it's not a perfect process. But it does point us to the eventual eternal hope that we have. And if you want to be where the Lord moves, that's got to be with the church. So as we move, like I said, in time response and reflection, just ask yourself that. Like, am I stuck in a prayer of pain? Have I been looking for a blessing that's actually been more of a false hope? Because, yeah, as we were going through all of that, you think we actually saw these blessings as they were unfolding? No way. No way. Don't let your pain stop you from recognizing how the Lord is moving in his body in your life. Because he's drawing you to him. So I just ask that you reflect on that and just respond in whatever makes sense to you in that. If you're, if you're needing to join the church, if you're just simply needing help getting past the pain and into trust, don't just sit there. The body is all around you. Literally, Christ is all around you right now and is more than willing to help and pray for you. and take care of any physical need you need. That's why we're here. Take it from us. It's worth it. And it's needed. Take the time just to ask the Lord what you need to do with that information.